Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Bite and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at bite.com. Bite Clear Liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. This is SiriusXM, channel 127. Welcome to Progress After Dark. Good evening to everybody out there on the West Coast, driving home in your vehicles. Hello to everybody else in the Middle and the East Coast. Welcome to Tell Me Everything, bringing good trouble to the right-wing bubble. I'm John Fugel saying, Chris Hauselt is our executive producer running this thing from the South Carolina studios. Thea Harper produces this thing from the Brooklyn studios, and in a polarized land, we turn to the words of George Washington, who said in 1788, I had always hoped that this land might become a safe and agreeable asylum to the virtuous and persecuted part of mankind, to whatever nation they might belong, because George Washington was a woke, open borders leftist, 1788. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. There's a lot to get to. Let's do a show. You may have heard of our guest, maybe on the Vice docuseries about women who were running for office a while back, or, or maybe you saw her on the cover of Time magazine with other first-time women candidates, or maybe you heard about her when she was endorsed by President Barack Obama. Representative Anna Eskimani serves on behalf of Florida's 42nd District of Orange County in the State House of Representatives. She is the daughter of Iranian immigrants. She worked at Planned Parenthood. She was endorsed by the Sierra Club and the Florida Conservation Voters. And she got elected in Florida without taking any money from the fossil fuel companies or the sugar industry. Those are just some of the reasons why she is a rising star in Democratic Party politics. She's now working on Strike Back for Summer, a campaign to push back against the many, 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 many bad and ill-advised and self-serving ideas of Ron DeSantis. What a great pleasure to welcome Ana Eskamani to SiriusXM. Hello, Representative. Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. It's, it's awesome to be here. Thank you so much. Um, I was watching you on CNN a couple of months back, and you had one of the best lines as a comedian. I wrote it down at the time. You said, DeSantis is trying to out-Trump Trump. 
And so to do that, you have to be as extreme as possible. I would argue, unless you've been indicted and have led an insurrection, you can't out Trump Trump. Um, very brilliant. We, we agree with you very much. But as I watch everything this individual has done in your beautiful state from trying any way possible to make it harder for poor people to vote, the ridiculous don't say gay law, the ridiculous anti-woke law, the theatrical abuse of migrants. Now, Bill 1069, which bans mention of periods before sixth grade in Florida public schools. How are you doing, Representative? How is the morale in the House of Representatives when you've got this? This governor who seems so devoted to showing a MAGA audience he can be more Trump than Trump, and that's his entire presidential platform. I mean, I'll tell you, it's it's like that cat hanging on the clothesline on that poster that says, hang in there, baby. That's <laughs> how so I feel every single day in Florida. Um, but I will say my my love for my home state, my love for our potential is far greater than whatever rage I have for what Ron DeSantis is doing to our beautiful state. But things are hard right now, not just because of the policies you just outlined, but let's be clear, when Republicans focus all their energy on trying to reflect MAGA extremism, then everyday issues like the cost of rent, property insurance rates, food insecurity, climate change, those issues get ignored. Yep. We're in an environment today in Florida where our utility rates are going up, the cost of living is is out of control, and the options to support you are close to zero. It's crazy. And I know that one of your most specific policy goals is to address the affordable housing crisis in the state of Florida, which I understand has nothing to do with Hunter Biden's laptop or trans children. It's actual public servants trying to engage in good governance for the betterment of their state and their state economy. It's kind of a crazy thing you're doing there in Florida, Representative. Well, and it speaks to two things. One, every culture war really is a class war, right? Because what ends up happening is not only are you dividing, conquering everyday people and splitting them up when we all should be together, focused on solving these problems. uh, When you degrade things like public education or public universities or when you block access to certain resources like healthcare uh, for trans people, you're furthering the divide between the haves and have nots because everybody with money, despite these these laws, are going to find a path forward. I mean, look at abortion as an example. If you have money, you will still be able to end your pregnancy. You're just going to have to go to a different state. Super burdensome and 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 should not be the reality but people with money will do that that's right the folks who don't have resources the folks like my family we're the ones who are stuck in our situations of poverty we're the ones stuck without options to decide our destiny and we're the ones stuck in what will become uh, degraded, underfunded public schools, where we'll have the ability to read stories about black and brown kids or about LGBTQ plus kids and and uh, see ourselves in those stories, thus impacting our ability to build efficacy. So people like me growing up as a as a daughter of working class immigrants who lost her mom to cancer, who did not have a lot of money, I would never, ever reach my fullest potential or see myself as someone who could run for office one day. And that maintains the power structure and the status quo. So every culture war really is a class war. 
not only for those reasons, but also for the reality that when you spend all your time attacking these marginalized people, then there is no time to address right. things like property insurance or rent. And and then again, those of us that are economically stuck maintain that status while everyone else around us uh, evolves and experiences mobility. Exactly right. And and you're right. I mean, essentially, their whole argument with uh, the six week abortion ban is is uh, punishing poor women with greater poverty and pretending that somehow that's Christian. The flip side of that coin is the stuff I've seen you doing, like getting a one year tax break on children's diapers and trying to make that permanent to expand it to incontinence items for adults as well. Again, there's performative governance Absolutely. and then there's actually helping the people. And I know that you couldn't do your job as well as you do if you didn't have a lot of reaching across the aisle to work with your Republican counterparts. Anytime I talk to anybody from the Florida state legislature or Senate, I always have to ask this question. What's it like for you? What has your experience been to try to address the challenges facing the residents of your state, knowing you can only pass legislation by working across the aisle? I have this theory that there are sane Republicans who are terrified of being found out as sane in your legislature. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really like that perspective and I, I, I want to co-sign it. You know, first of all, you're right. You can't get anything done in a place like the Florida legislature unless you find areas of common ground. And I will say it's a very delicate dance because there are moments where I am just not only aggressively opposed to something, but I'm asking tough questions. I'm being very aggro on a point and I'm not letting someone get away with not responding to me, right? Or not uh, um, addressing a question yes. I have about a policy. But at the same time, you know, that very same member might be someone that we have to talk about a bill together. And I need to be able to pull them aside and have a one on one conversation about a different issue. And I'm someone who not only am I optimist and a very just positive person, but I do believe in the power of persuasion. And I think that when you work hard and know your shit, it's it's much easier to persuade people than if you are yourself just reliant on the culture wars. And I, I had this debate with uh, a colleague the other day. So many Democrats, if you pull away the social issues, you can't even tell if, if they're a Democrat or not. And that's a Thank problem you. for me because I think mm -hmm. we have to be progressive, not just on social issues, but also on the economic. And I'm someone who does not take a penny from corporations. I challenge corporate greed. I, I you know, have a 39% for the Florida Chamber for good reason. And and I, I try to toll that line of being a consumer advocate. And sometimes it also makes me a little libertarian on tax policy, where I don't think sure. we should be giving away money to corporations through tax subsidies. So I try to find those areas of commonality when I can with my colleagues. And it kind of depends on, you know, the, the that Republican, as you noted, because there are some that I will never be able to work with. It's just not possible. You know, not only are they combative, but they're not there to solve problems. They don't they really don't care. Right. They're there for their own power play and amplification and, and trying to go viral like Matt Gates. Um, right, but there are right. those that really they, they just they might be your more typical, like, you know, corporate type of Republican. But at least 
they don't really want to get involved in the social stuff. They feel forced because of the climate today around them. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you can also peel them back, you know, and I think it's important to note that even in Florida, seven Republicans voted no on the six week abortion ban. Upwards right. of 10 voted no on the union busting bill, right? So we were able to persuade um, several uh, Republicans to also vote in our direction as well. Well, let me ask you about that, because I, I admire that you're able to do it. And again, I, I thoughts and prayers for the same Republicans in the Florida legislature who have to hide it. But I'm thinking about <laughs> Senate bill, Senate bill 1718, Ron DeSantis's anti-immigrant right. Fantasia bill. And it just went into effect this week. And now I see some lawmakers in Florida who voted for it are trying to explain themselves away as your state now faces work shortage. I saw Rick Roth, who voted for this bill, but is now begging immigrants to stay and still work in the state because he said DeSantis only pushed it because he's running for president. I mean, at some point... And he's a farmer. He's a farmer. Exactly. He knows. This is his field. He knows. He's known all along. He's employed undocumented immigrants all along, just like Donald Trump has since the 1980s. But they make a convenient scapegoat. I, I look at all the books being banned in your state. I mean, Catch-22, The Color Purple, are on Florida's school board's rejected list. Paradise Lost, Room with a View, Brave New World. And now there's four different Shakespeare plays banned in the middle schools in Orange County. I would imagine for you, your response to that has to be, Ignore it. Don't get dragged into the culture war debates and just keep on talking about issues that actually matter to the lives of Floridians. Yeah. And it, it's a tough balance, right? Because I, I will say that for many of our communities that are impacted by these, whether they're teachers who don't know what to teach anymore or their parents who uh, see books getting banned that reflect their identity and their family's stories, or in the context of the gender affirming care bans, they're trans patients who don't know where to go anymore. I have to respond to that, right? Because these are also, this is my village. This is my community that needs help. So I, I have to dive into some of these legal battles. I've actually, I've been um, deposed by the governor's office uh, for about five and a half hours on the gerrymandering bill, uh, You know, being interrogated by his attorneys on yeah. my viewpoints and perspectives as a witness. And I think it's important that I put my body between the line of freedom and fascism, because especially as an accomplice to these movements, that is what I must do. But to your point, I can't get totally lost in the culture wars because majority of my constituents, they just need help paying their bills. Yeah, They need help making sure that their kids are going to a safe school. They're worried about things like gun violence and public safety. They are seeing their utility rates go up, their rent go up with very little benefit in return. And they look at the media and they think that all we talk about are culture wars, which in their defense, that's all they see, right? Like when I hosted, I hosted a press conference uh, to mark the diaper tax break that we accomplished, right? So as you noted, we were able last year to get a one-year tax break on children's diapers, and this year we expanded it to be permanent and to also include adult and contents products. So our team worked with our local diaper bank and Healthy Start Coalition to host a press conference about this. And it was perfect. It had We had two moms sharing their story. We were at the diaper bank surrounded by diapers. I mean, you, you know, every box you check of a good press conference, we had it. Except no reporters showed up. No right? reporters showed up. Meanwhile, right. good government. No, no reporters. reporters showed up. Right. But if you were standing and outside a bus screaming, if you were screaming at migrants, they'd be all over you. Sorry. Go ahead. 
Exactly. No, it's true. That's the frustrating part is that when we want to amplify, you know, stories of whether it's closing corporate tax loopholes or in this case, the success of a consumer tax break, the media attention isn't there. And, you know, part of it, too, is the fact that media has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. Newsrooms are closing. Right. People Mm -hmm. are stretched thin, having to cover multiple things. But when you have the chaos tour like DeSantis, who is continuously using his bully pulpit to, to 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 cause harm and to cause all this confusion and chaos, then that's where the media attention goes to. But it's so frustrating because then when we try to create a story around something that's proactive and positive and a democratic success story, nobody hears about it. And I had this same experience last year when I hosted a virtual press conference on closing corporate tax loopholes, which is such a timely, you know, subject and really important, especially in the context of Florida, where only 1% of Florida businesses even pay a corporate income tax. I mean, it's wild. No reporters came to that either. And so we are also in this, you know, situation of of, of scarce resources, right? Where when we do tell stories and amplify really important policy proposals or even success stories, we don't get the media coverage that that a culture war issue would get. And that creates an environment where constituents think all you're doing is talking about culture war. So unless you're right. creating your own media to tell your own story, then all they hear is what's coming from the far right and how That's Democrats it. are responding and never actually hear what Democrats are fighting for. Exactly right. My God. We're going to take a very quick break. We'll be right back. This is Progress. Hi there. It's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. And welcome back. So I want to ask you about Strike Back for Summer, because it sort of seems like a way for good people of conscience and people who love Florida to sort of be involved in pushing back against all of these performative Ron DeSantis's legislations just to try to fail to get the Republican presidential nomination. Tell us a bit about it, please. Absolutely. I mean, I'm a believer in, in the antidote to despair as being action. So, I mean, for the one year mark of, of the fall row, instead of just hosting a protest, which many folks did across the country, we actually hosted the largest canvas um, that our team has ever done with 100 volunteers focused on getting abortion on the ballot in 2024, which we are on the precipice of doing right now in our state. And so Strike Back Summer kind of fits that same uh, mold. We are um, helping to amplify three specific candidates here in Central Florida, myself, 
uh, former Representative Carlos Smith, who's running for the state Senate, and uh, Stephanie Venos, who's running for a school board seat, because as you all know, school board races are incredibly important. And I'm sad to say we have a That's Moms right. Liberty candidate, an elected official now in Orange County, and we want to make sure she's one and done. And so uh, we're teaming up, the three of us, to host a series of events throughout the summer um, to collect our candidate petitions to get us on the ballot to help amplify vote by mail renewals. So folks are renewing their requests to vote by mail as Governor DeSantis canceled everyone's That's VBM's right. requests for the next cycle. And we're also, <laughs> of course, uh, bringing to the voters information about the abortion ballot initiative, because I do see that as a not only a, an incredibly important policy, but of course, it'll help with turnout come 2024 as well. So we're bringing this to the doors and we're inviting first timers to join us. We want to make this as inclusive as possible. We have a lot of everyday people who are getting politically involved for the first time, but they don't know where to start. And there's no reason why we should wait till the election year to do door knocking, to do voter outrage. We should be doing it 24 seven. I want to ask about your your early life really quick, if I could. I've read you speak about how your first experience with racism was when 9-11 happened and, and you've, you've spoken beautifully about your your mother's passing. Was your family politically active growing up? It's a really great question. Uh, my my family was way too busy trying to make ends meet to be that civically engaged. My mom worked fast food jobs and eventually at Kmart. That was her last job before she passed away after a long fight with colon cancer back in 2004. Uh, my dad became an engineer on the weekdays and worked at Walt Disney World on the weekends to make ends meet. And so I really never got to see my family, um, you know, become engaged in their community beyond just the, the daily struggle of trying to make ends meet to put food on the table. I will say that my mom uh, was incredibly proud to become an American citizen. I was at her citizenship ceremony when I was about four or five years old. I remember driving to Miami and, you know, seeing her take that oath. Um, wow. And, wow. Since, and after that, she would take us voting with her. So I remember, you know, the the voting, the polling location was the church right outside my elementary school. So we wait in line with my mom so she could cast her ballot. And we did watch the presidential debates um, and my very first attempt at collecting a petition was actually to keep my best friend at the time for being moved to a different class, thus a different lunch period. So I created a petition to keep her in the same class when I was ah, in fifth grade. <laughs> I see. You were fighting the deep state early, huh? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Now, I did not win that campaign. She still got moved to a different lunch period. But uh, you got to lose a couple of fights to win. And <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I, I kind of just developed this knack to fight for the underdog. I've always been an underdog kind of a person. In fact, my twin sister and I, you know, we both uh, tested for gifted. We did one day of gifted class. And we're like, yeah, we don't like this. Want to go back to, you know, all the other students. And then we were encouraged to apply for, um, you know, IB classes. We were like, nah, mm -hmm. we want to do, we want to do AP. And then when I got to college, you're we like, oh, you should do the honors program. And I was like, nah, I just want to do the regular classes. Like I've always <laughs> just been an anti-elite type of person. You know, I, I just want to kind of be with everyday folks. And that's where I'm most comfortable. Those are, that's my village. Um, so I, I take a lot of pride as being someone that like I can, I can I can mesh in different spaces, but I have my preference as being with my, you know, my friends from growing up and just sure. like everyday people, because that's that's you can't forget where you come from. And I, I try to always grab myself in that. 
Uh, you know what? There's there's plenty of uh, fossil fuel shills in your state. We could have booked for an interview, <laughs> but we we go for the person who uses uh, government and empathy at the same time. So that's generally our how we swing too. I have one last question for you, Representative, because uh, I, I heard this story and we're hearing more and more stories like this. But I want to get from you: Is it true that when you first ran for your seat in the House, that they ran a complete dummy puppet candidate against you for the Democratic primary? They just did one of these. Shadow uh-huh. fraud candidates, one of these cardboard candidates to try to, uh, let's just say, take votes away from the woman with an interesting name. Hundred <laughs> percent. That's exactly what happened. What happened? So what, how'd they do the it? Day, so the day of qualifying back in 2018, and I had worked so freaking hard to avoid a Democratic primary. I raised a hundred thousand dollars the first two months of my campaign. Um, from individual donors. I mean, we were uh, collecting early endorsements, knocking on doors, everything you're supposed to be doing to like keep the the field open for yourself, right? Qualifying comes up and out of nowhere, someone files run against me. He doesn't live in the district. His treasurer, the first thing I noticed that his treasurer is a Republican. So I was like, okay, Mm -hmm. this is clearly uh, uh, illegitimate. And, of course, he's also a person of color. So Republicans complain about identity politics, yet they play it all of the time, oh, literally. And so, long story short, you know, we, we try to talk to this guy. He's, you know, pretty much not existing in real life, exists on paper, but not in real life. I look at his qualifying paperwork and I notice that his wife was his notary, which is illegal in Florida. And so once I saw that, I was like, oh, this paperwork is illegitimate. He actually did not qualify. So I file wow. a lawsuit. I challenge him in court. And sure enough, he leaves the race because he he knew he wasn't going to win that. And I'm sure also his Republican <laughs> uh, cronies didn't tell him that, A, he was breaking law by having his wife be his notary. But to be that you're going to be sued because you you mess around with me find out right like i don't have time like i will absolutely pursue every opportunity i have to prove my point <laughs> lawsuit included <laughs> and so it was really wild because uh during the primary in florida i was on the ballot but the candidate running against me was gone he'd already stepped out but he was still printed so the county had to put little slips that said, you know, the District 47 race is it doesn't actually exist, but the ballots were already printed. Wow. And I was, I was very <laughs> proud of our of us for fighting back because I've seen this happen to other candidates. Other candidates kind of accept it as, you know, eh, nothing we can do about it. But no, honey, you can always do something about it. And and you should fight like hell to either get that person, a fake candidate off your ballot or right at the on. very least call them out for being fake. I've seen way too many people who just kind of ignore it and don't see it as a threat. But remember that they are so insidious and they will do anything to to not only try to make you lose, but to waste your time. And I don't got time to waste. And that's why I totally could have beat him in a primary without a doubt. But why spend all the money on that if I could get rid of him by following the law and <laughs> removing him because he's not legitimate, right? So I'll never forget the moment I, I realized that because I, I remember I was going for a run after he filed and I kept thinking about it and thinking about it. And I was like, wait a minute, was his wife his notary? And then I 
you know, got back home and I was all sweating in my gym clothes and I wow. opened up the PDF again and I was like, uh-huh. There you go. And, yep. you know, the rest is history. So you just, it's always worth fighting, even in the context of some of these dirty politics. You cannot Look, you, be afraid of it. You've already got me excited to see you take on Rick Scott for Senate someday. Um, what a great <laughs> pleasure. Representative Anna Eskamani representing Orange County and Florida State House of Representatives. How can our listeners learn more about you and more about your work and more about Strike Back for Summer? I mean, we'd love for you to keep in touch with us. Our website is onaforflorida.com, two ends, all spelled out, onaforflorida.com. And that is the same for all of our social media handles. So you can follow us at Honor for Florida on most of the different social media platforms. It's such a pleasure having you. Please, this platform is always open to you. Come back again anytime. Thank you. I definitely will. I appreciate you. Thank you, Representative Anna Eskamani. Can't wait to see what you do next. And we'll be right back. This is SiriusXM Progress. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Welcome back. In the 50 years since Roe v. Wade was passed, we've seen a huge nationwide, worldwide digital surveillance system start to emerge. A digital surveillance system that could be used against people who are seeking abortion care or those helping them. And of course, since Roe v. Wade was overturned about a year ago, many women have begun refusing to use apps that track their fertility and cycles because they're afraid their data could conceivably be used against them. Congresswoman Sarah Jacobs of California introduced a bill called the My Body, My Data Act that aims to protect women's reproductive information. You've probably heard of Representative Jacobs before. She represents California's 51st congressional district. She's worked in the past for the U.N. and UNICEF. She was a policy advisor on Secretary Clinton's campaign in 2016. And in 2022, she first authored the legislation to regulate the collection of these personal reproductive health data on the period tracking apps. Maisie Hirono and Ron Wyden also introduced a version in the U.S. Senate. Uh, Congresswoman Jacobs also 
introduced, along with our friend, Representative Ilhan Omar, a new amendment to the 2023 NDAA that would effectively block the transfer of cluster munitions. We'll get to that in a few minutes. In the meantime, it is a great pleasure to welcome Representative Sarah Jacobs to SiriusXM. Thank you so much for having me. It really is a pleasure. Thank you. I love the causes you fight for. And uh, I really think that you're one of the smarter Democrats out there in terms of taking on issues that could seem controversial, but are actually quite popular and often quite deeply moral. And I'm a big fan of the Reproductive Data Privacy Act. I know if it's passed, it would require these various entities to share their policies on how the data is being collected and protected. What was it? that first made you want to introduce a bill like this? What was it that first set off an alarm for you? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm a young woman myself um, and I use a period tracking app. And as soon as the Dobbs decision got leaked, I started hearing from so many friends and peers asking what they should do about their period and fertility tracking apps. Um, We know there was a whole movement on TikTok about delete your app. Uh, And I just started doing some research on it because I wanted to be able to give my friends good advice. And I realized like it shouldn't be on each individual person or companies to do the right thing. Like it's our job as the government to protect this really sensitive and private data. Uh, And so I got to work working on the My Body, My Data Act. Yeah, it's amazing that the U.S. doesn't have any kind of policy like this in place on a federal level. I I know the apps are very helpful in so many ways, and a lot of men are learning a lot about these apps from your legislative action. So I thank you for the education. But are you concerned that it's it's come to a place where these could be weaponized against people who want to use it, who, who need to use it? I mean, absolutely. And let's be clear, it's not just about the period and fertility tracking apps. This is about Google search data. This is about location data. Um, This is about if you go online to try and buy mifepristone or other medication, that data. At the moment, all of that data is vulnerable. None, None of it is protected under our current privacy architecture, which, by the way, also needs to be fixed for this post row era. And we're already seeing people use this data to prosecute folks uh, seeking abortion and those trying to help them. Um, We've seen it uh, using private Facebook messages. What people don't really understand about the Dobbs decision is, yes, it's about abortion, but it's also about privacy. Because how do you enforce an abortion ban? Often, many cases, abortion presents medically just the same way as a miscarriage would. Exactly. So the evidence going to have to use is like, did you talk about abortion online? Did you search for an abortion clinic? Did you buy mifepristone, even if, you know, not in the same time period, because that's what that's the only evidence they're really going to be able to have. Absolutely. I I didn't realize that only five states, uh, Virginia, Utah, Connecticut, Colorado and California have real comprehensive data privacy laws for consumers. I think the biggest misconception we have is that health data collected by these apps um, is not protected under HIPAA. Yeah, so HIPAA only applies to information between you and your healthcare provider. And frankly, even HIPAA has some issues in this post-row era. I actually have another bill called the Safer Health Bill that closes some of the loopholes that allow law enforcement to access your health data when enforcing uh, something that is illegal, which we now know in 20 states abortion is, and we know more states are trying to do that. Um, So our entire privacy architecture is not set up for this post-row moment. 
Not at all. And I mean, you've been a real leader on this issue for quite a while. You were, along with 16 other members of Congress, arrested at a demonstration in support of women's reproductive freedoms outside the Supreme Court last summer. Thank you for your service. I mean, we're we're dealing with this vast new landscape where these six justices think they know more about women's bodies than women do. And the landscape is changing. You mentioned Mifepristone. Congresswoman, one of my big fears is that we may have to start worrying about people's mail being tampered with by some sources. I've talked to many women who are terrified that if Mifepristone can be banned, as some judges that MAGA went shopping for or trying to do, that suddenly this could compromise our own mail privacy. Yeah, and I think, you know, oftentimes being a Californian, uh, it's easy to think these things aren't going to affect us there in other states, but we're protected here in California. If the Mifepristone case gets decided in a certain way, it could impact us in California, too. Absolutely, of course, on on a nationwide level. And I'm wondering how encouraged you are. I mean, we're one year after Dobbs. I know everyone has uh, been sort of realizing um, that the Republicans are the dog that caught the car. They finally got what they wanted. It's begun to blow up in their face on an electoral level. But beyond the politics, we're seeing new stories every day from every corner of the country of women and men whose lives have been terribly impacted by this. What are you feeling one year on? Um, and how should we expect the post-Row era will start to look? Yeah, look, I feel both heartbroken and hopeful, heartbroken for all of the people who are not able to access the care that they need, um, for all of the people whose lives trajectories are changed because they can't get this very normal part of reproductive health care. Very angry at these justices who think they know more about my body than I do. You know, I'm right one on. of the few women of reproductive age in Congress, so it feels very personal for me, like. I'm angry, um, but I'm also really hopeful because every single time we saw abortion rights on the ballot, they won. And yeah. I do think that people are starting to realize that whatever you think of abortion itself, these laws are harming people. You know, I had like an 80 year old, old conservative white man come up to me and be like, look, I never thought I was pro-choice. But my daughter had an ectopic pregnancy mm. and thankfully she was able to get the care she needed. But if the laws were in place now, then my daughter would probably be dead. That's and right. so you're starting to see this real understanding of what reproductive health care really is in the full range that's needed. And I do think that that's going to lead to change in the future. And, you know, so many voters, especially older voters, are the kind of folks who would never call themselves pro-choice but certainly don't want to see abortion rights criminalized. That was my mom and dad. They'd never call themselves pro-choice, but they would never vote against an anti-abortion candidate. How do you want to see the Democratic Party leading on this issue, both politically and morally? Yeah, look, I think the most important thing is that we don't let up. We don't let ourselves be resigned to this just being the new normal and this how it's going to be in the future. And we also understand that for really many people, even before the Dobbs decision, they weren't able to access the abortion care they needed. So Roe really is the floor. We actually That's need right. to be looking forward at what we can be doing to make sure every person in America has access to the full range of reproductive and health care that they need um, and that it's actually accessible. It's not just a right, but they're able to access it as well. Um, and, you know, I get so frustrated sometimes uh, before the 2022 election. I'm sure you heard it, too. Everyone was like, stop talking about abortion. You're talking about mm -hmm. it too much. People care about the economy. I mean, for me and my friends, 
reproductive health care is a kitchen table issue, right? Yes. We're talking about like who's having babies, who wants to have babies, who doesn't want to have babies, how much it costs yeah. to go to child care, all these things. Kind right? of affects so, our economy when women have to leave the workforce against their will. Yeah, quite a bit. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not this niche issue that just affects some people. It's not just like a women's issue. It is a core part of the fundamental freedoms of our country, of our economy, and of people's everyday lived experience. And we need to be running on our campaigns like that's the case. And we need to be talking about abortion like that, like that's the case. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back after this. This episode is brought to you by Philo. Do you love TV? Do you love saving money? Then Philo is your solution. Philo has shows, movies, and live TV for just $25 a month. You can even try it for free with their seven-day free trial. No contracts, no commitments, no hassles, just a better way to watch TV. Never miss a minute of shows like the hit docuseries Where is Wendy Williams or classics such as Friends. If you can't get enough TV, then there's no better way to watch. Philo has more than 70 channels like BET, MTV, and AMC. And the best part? You can try it yourself with their seven-day free trial. Sign up today at philo.tv slash poppods. That's P-H-I-L-O dot TV slash P-O-P-P-O-D-S to get 50% off your first month. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey all, Glenn Kirshner here. So friends, I hope you'll join me on my audio podcast, Justice Matters. Do you care about ethics in government? criminal justice reform, a conflict-free federal judiciary? I thought so. On Justice Matters, we take on issues involving the need to reform our government and its institutions. And we talk about real, achievable reform. I hope you'll join us. Look for Justice Matters wherever you usually get your podcasts. Welcome back. Congressman Sarah Jacobs, you co-led the Right to Contraception Act, which would guarantee a right to contraception, which I never thought we'd be talking about in the 21st century until Clarence Thomas took his little victory lap and revealed his wish list. How concerned should we be, Congresswoman? I mean, look, we introduced that legislation and we only got five Republicans to vote for it. That means... Uh... Where a hundred Republicans didn't vote for that legislation. So in some ways, I think we should be really concerned because the Republican Party in Congress is so completely divorced from the American population's opinions on these things. You know, 95 percent of Americans think access to contraception should be a right Um, when it comes to my bill, the, the data privacy bill. More than two thirds of Americans, including 54 percent of Republicans, think that Congress should act to make sure that, you know, period tracking apps and others can't sell or share your data. So these are really popular things. Sometimes we as politicians are having to educate the population and change public opinion. This is not one of those cases. The American public is on our side. Now we just have to go and win some elections. Amen. 
Let me shift gears and ask you a bit about the NDAA, because I really admire how you and Congresswoman Omar, who is a friend of this show, have been leading on this issue. Folks know about cluster munitions. They're they're launched from the air or the ground. They're haphazard. They're legendarily faulty. Once they're fired, they release dozens of these little mini bombs in the air that spread out and they saturate city block size areas. And of course, these little mini bombs can't be controlled. They don't always immediately explode. Many times they become de facto landmines scattered that will explode later, killing civilians. Since World War II, these cluster munitions have killed an estimated 56,000 to 86,000 civilians. So We've just learned that President Joe Biden's new decision uh, is to include cluster munitions in the next weapons package to Ukraine. Um, Of course, the White House has previously condemned Vladimir Putin for using these weapons. And you and Representative Omar have introduced an amendment to the 2023 NDAA that would effectively block the transfer of these munitions. Much praise and gratitude to you. What first put this issue on your radar? I serve on both the Armed Services and the Foreign Affairs Committees, and so I spend a lot of time thinking about America's role in the world, what we should be doing. And, you know, I often am looking at the places where our actions are not living up to our values because I think they're not the right thing, but I also think they're really harmful for our national security because we are able to build international coalitions because we're seen as a moral leader. And those international coalitions are precisely what gives us our national security, what makes us powerful. It's why we've been able to be successful in the fight against Russia when it comes to supporting the Ukrainians. Um, and, And so this was, to me, a clear example of almost every other country, including almost every one of our NATO allies, has signed the Convention on Cluster Munitions. That's right. Um, We've seen the damage this has done in Southeast Asia, in Georgia, in Lebanon, and other places. We condemn countries for using them. And to me, it only makes sense for us to continue having the moral high ground, to be able to continue leading in the way that keeps us safest, is to actually live up to our values. And that means not sending cluster munitions. I I agree. You had a great tweet on this that I loved. I'll quote you. Our international coalition is strong because we're united together and because we're living up to our values. But sending cluster munitions defies these two tenets. What kind of support have you received so far from your fellow Democrats in the House on this? Yeah, um, you know, we've heard from a lot of folks who are interested in joining in uh, on the amendment. Um, We're working with the Congressional Progressive Caucus to, to build support as well. Um, You know, I think there's a lot of people who understand the danger and damage of these weapons. I I think it's a tricky position, right? We we don't want to go against our president. I think in many ways, the Biden administration has been really masterful in how they've handled the Ukraine conflict and have been really thoughtful and deliberate about which weapons they send when and and keeping our coalition together. And, And that's why I was so disappointed to see this decision. Me as well. Let me just for the sake of fairness, um, offer you the counter argument we're going to be hearing on this, which is that uh, Zelensky has been pushing for the West to give him what he keeps saying he needs, the weapons to help Ukraine in this ongoing counteroffensive. Russia's using these weapons extensively against the Ukrainians. And Ukraine has already been using cluster munitions. Turkey gave them some. Uh, How would you respond to this argument that we should expect to be hearing quite a bit? Look, I don't think that we make ourselves safer by going to the lowest common denominator. And just because our opponents are doing something doesn't mean we should. We derive our power from our 
moral superiority and our ability to build these international coalitions. And almost all of our NATO allies are against cluster munitions and have banned them and are against us sending them. That hurts our allied unity. And when it comes to rebuilding Ukraine, this is going to have a huge impact, right? Because we are yes. not just fighting this war right now. We are fighting for the future of Ukraine. And that means we also need to be thinking about rebuilding Ukraine and what kind of Ukraine we want to be rebuilding. And again, these munitions will be lying on the ground, posing a huge, deadly danger to kids who could pick them up, refugees getting back to their homes, farmers working in fields. It's really, really quite terrifying. And it seems like you've been very supportive of Joe Biden and the way he's handled this so far. How do you think the U.S. approach to the war in Ukraine should continue? Just are, are, are you supportive of the rest of the president's plan and the international coalition he's assembled? Absolutely. Um, look, I think I know this was a hard decision for the administration. We've been in many conversations with them. I still have many questions about this decision that, that I'm waiting to hear back from the Pentagon uh, answers for. But I think, you know, this cluster munitions decision aside, I think the Biden administration has done uh, a great job in keeping the international coalition together and making sure that we are getting Ukraine the weapons that it needs for the phase of the fight that they're in. Amen. Before I let you go, Congresswoman, and it's such a pleasure having you with us. Of course, we're experiencing more mass shootings with higher death tolls in recent years. You are a member of Congress who's done something about this. You helped pass the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. Um, how do you feel that we should be addressing this issue? And what's the smart way for Democrats to address this issue? I'm so frustrated by the conversation around gun violence prevention. Right. You know, I, I was a member of the Columbine generation. I did school shootings. The fact that the next generation not only is still doing school shooting drills, still doing um, lockdown drills, but actually they've gotten more intense is a real failure of all of us that we are continuing to pass this trauma on to future generations. Um, and I think that, you know, as we talk about this, we need to be talking about the safety of our communities, right? This is about community safety. This is not about trying to take someone's rights away. It's about making sure our kids can go to school. We can go to parades. Mm -hmm. You know, there were multiple mass shootings just on July 4th. So, you know, Democrats introduced three um, what are called discharge petitions, which is trying to get bills onto the floor without the support of Speaker McCarthy. We couldn't mm -hmm. get a single Republican to sign on to them to do things like universal background checks and assault weapons ban, really common sense things that the majority of Americans support. Yeah. So, you know, the fact of the matter is, unfortunately, like like everything, we a need Republicans who say that they want to address this to actually do something um, and, and actually help us get things done and, and protect our communities. And two, we need to win more elections so that so mm -hmm. that we can pass laws that the majority of Americans support. I agree. I think smart Democrats would run on this. And I'm especially grateful to uh, you and your colleagues for managing the close of the boyfriend loophole in the Safer Communities Act, which would allow domestic abusers to hang on to their guns as long as they weren't married to or still living with the victim. I mean, this is such a huge issue. I think most people don't realize how much gun violence is actually a, a, a women's rights issue. The majority of mass shootings are actually intimate partner violence, right? Yes. And so the, the more we understand the intersection between domestic violence, gun violence, death by suicide, the more we actually can do the things that will keep our community safe. Congressman Sarah Jacobs, it is such a pleasure to have you on our show. What is the best way for our listeners to keep up with you and the work your office does? 
Well, thank you. It was great to be here. Um, you can follow me on all the different various social medias at Rep Sarah Jacobs. There's no H on Sarah or on my website, sarahjacobs.house.gov. Thank you so much. We'd love to have you in person in the studios in New York or D.C. sometime. It's really a pleasure to have you and uh, keep on doing what you're doing and fighting for Medicare for all. You're a rock star. It's a pleasure. Thank you. I will. 